The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 551, for Sunday, May 3rd, 2015. Go! Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in your questions, we answer your questions, we share tips. We're like car talk is what some people have said for Apple users. And that I think is an apt description. Sponsors for today include smile at smilesoftware.com. Today we'll talk about PDF pen scan plus also Linda at lynda.com slash MGG. That link gets you 10 days free of their excellent training videos. And we've got some videos from you, our listeners to suggest too. We'll talk about that in a little bit as well here. In sunny and mildly warmer than it used to be, Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, John F. Braun. How are you doing today, John F. Braun? I'm okay, but my computer's cranky. I think, I don't think, or so my we switch. Ha- yeah, I, er, I don't know what, what it is. We had a, uh, we had a little problem just prior to the show, John fell offline and uh, you've seen this before, right? You're, in fact, I think we've seen it mid show. It again uh, required a power cycle of your your transporter to fix it, but uh, my my gut tells me that your switch, whatever switch you have that stuff plugged into, is just in need of replacement. Because switches, it's weird they don't have any moving parts, but they do go bad pretty regularly, especially switches that see you know consumer grade switches that see uh, lots of use. That that's been my experience, and it certainly sounds like you're going through the same thing there. Could be. All the lights are green, though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Works the same for me. I um, I've had good luck with um. I've been through lots of different brands of switches, and I'm sure my my allegiance will change yet again at some point. But um, but right now I'm having good luck with D-Link's switches, and I'm trying to pull up which one I have. I've got the uh, the DGS one. Oh no, yeah, that might be it. I. No, I feel like I've got different ones because it's showing that I ordered. I only ordered one, but the, the DGS 1008G eight port gigabit desktop switch is what I have. But uh, that's saying I ordered that in 2011. So I must have ordered these other ones from somewhere else because I've, I've bought some more recently than that. So that might not be the one, but it might be. I forget. I don't know. I got to go look. I'll, 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 yeah. I'll put a link in the show notes to whatever switch I'm actually using, folks. So. I yeah. Thought. So people may be asking, what is a switch? Now we all know what a switch is like you have on the wall. Oh, I found them. People may, people may not <laughs> even have those, but a switch is a device that gives you more ethernet ports Yep. Uh, for, for our purposes. Yep. Um, and right now I have a, uh, so I got one I got from, uh, who is it? Monoprice. Yeah. Inexpensive. It was like 25 bucks, eight ports, gigabit switch, dumb, 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 dumb. Doesn't have any intelligence whatsoever. So I may want to step up my game and get one that has features. (laughs) Oh, that's going to cost you quite a bit to to get Uh, some features. So I found, I did find the ones. It's not D-Link that I'm using. It's TP-Link that I've been very happy with. Um, It's their eight port version. You can buy it at Amazon for $19.99 with free prime shipping. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's their TLSG 1008D. So 20 bucks, John. That's the eight port version. They have a five port version that is uh, $14.99. But, uh, 
But this one has worked great. It is not a green switch. Uh, oh, actually, it says it is, isn't it? Well, I haven't had the problems with this one that I have had with other green switches in the past, but that doesn't mean I won't at some point. I found the green switches to be less than uh, less than desirable. So, yeah, but maybe these, uh, maybe whatever TP-Link is doing is, is good. The, the green switches, power-saving switches, and this one s- says it is. I swear to you, when I bought this thing last year, that line was not on the Amazon description. Otherwise, I would not have bought it. But... Um, but the power saving thing, they, they power down the ports or they go into like 100 megabit mode instead of gigabit mode. And sometimes they don't kick back up. It's a big pain in the neck. But uh, I have not had that problem with this one yet. So, yeah. Oh, this one looks good. Oh, 15K jumbo frames. All right. Yeah. I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> all right. Now I'm getting all kinds of weird. Um, I'm getting all kinds of weird interruptions here from you, John. I'm hoping that that's that's not indicative of you falling away. But we'll see where it goes. You still with me, John? So far. Okay, good. All right. Well, we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed for that. Uh, let's see. Should we, uh, let's, let's just dive right into this here. We'll, um, we'll, we'll, I think we'll, we'll talk more about this later, right? It's network stuff. I think we've got network stuff coming up, but uh, for now, let's see if we can get into this show and hopefully all of our networks and such. Will survive. I've actually, you know what? I'm going I'm to take us on another tangent. I've been having problems, John, with my cable modem uh, over the last couple of weeks. I think as it's warming up, my uh, upstream power level is getting dangerously close to 50 and 51 dBmV, which is which is bad. Um, and it 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 then recycles itself and comes back around, but. It's because I moved my cable modem and I have it behind many uh, splitters, which is totally a no-no when it comes to your cable modem, um, or at least in a, ill-advised. And so I'm aware of what I'm doing here, but hopefully I can sort that out. We'll see. We shall see. Hopefully it, hopefully it survives during the show. All right. Uh, Shane writes, I have something strange happening on my 2014 MacBook Pro. I was wondering if you would tell me what you think about it. Uh, Every time I open an app or a window, the other windows I have open minimize. No two windows will stay open on the same space. However, I can have one open on one space and another on another space, but not two windows open on the same space. Any thoughts on what has changed to generate this behavior? Yeah. So I dug into this, Shane, and... It, I, I haven't experienced this, but now I know why I haven't experienced it. This is this this is the intended and correct behavior if you have uh, system preferences, mission control, group windows by application unchecked. So go in and check that, and that should resolve this issue for you. It's. Um, it's actually a, a feature, believe it or not. And so you can you can have it this way and it keeps things straight and maybe keeps you from getting distracted or, or otherwise cluttering your your screen with multiple windows from multiple apps at once. So that's the uh, that's the trick. Hopefully that solves it for you. It's one of those things, you know, little needle in a haystack. But that's what we're here for. Helping you find the needles. Um, you know, you were asking me pre-show, John, you're like, man, how did you know that? And I didn't, you know, I, I looked it up. 
And it reminded me of when I used to do some consulting. Of course, I was doing a lot of consulting in the pre-Google days where you had to call tech support. And I was actually was talking to my wife about this this last week. I said, wow, you know, I hadn't thought about this, but I made a lot of money talking to tech support. And she's like, what are you talking about? And I said, well, all the whole time I said I was paid by the hour, you know, and uh, and and then it was funny because I would have once Google started around, I would have the same problem and I would, you know, search for an answer on Google or whatever. And it would come up and people would say, man, you know, I'm just paying you to search Google. And I would tell them, yeah, but it's cheaper than paying me to call tech support. You know, you ask me to come solve the problem. If I don't know the answer, we're going to have to get it from somewhere. And, uh, and it's either tech support or Google and one is way faster and cheaper. So there you go. So a couple observations, Dave. Yeah. So one, you know, in this day and age though, you know, what's so awesome is that tech support calls you. Yes. Now, if, if people have not run into this now, this happens mostly with windows, but I've heard of this happening uh, more often on Mac now. Oh, you're, you're talking about you're you're you're, you're talking about the fraud stuff. I see. I'm talking. Yes. Okay. I, well, well, no. I got two, two angles here. So one, okay. yes, there there are people that claim to be for the most part Microsoft tech support saying hi. We uh, you know we we got to log into your computer and fix it, and then they you know lock it up, and then you have to pay the money to unlock it, and it's a it's really mean. Um, but I've seen Mac specific ones too, where people like forge, uh, you know, they cut and paste the graphics from the Apple page and then they put up a bogus page, including a one 800 number. I don't know how these people get away with this. If they don't get arrested. <laughs> um, but no, it's just a, be careful if somebody calls you offering tech support to fix your computer, because it's probably bogus. Yeah. You should well, listen to us. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, there is, I wasn't sure where you were going with this, but I, there um, I've seen it many times where you go onto the website of some company and you say, I need help. And then you have an option, email, live chat or phone. And if you hit phone, oftentimes what happens is they ask you to type in your number and then tech support calls you. Uh, and then that's actual, you know, that, that in most cases is, is the right people oh, of course. calling you. But oh, yeah. last time I, I had to deal with Apple, I actually did that. I, I, I was very impressed. Yeah. I, it said, oh, you need help. This is when I had the problem with my uh with my phone and my battery is yeah there was an option call me back and like within five minutes someone called me back and, and we, we discussed it yeah but the other thing i want to mention dave is i noticed solving this problem you mentioned the word space a lot and i think that was intentional that he said space well yeah he More was asking once. he was asking about spaces <laughs> yeah exactly and and the cool thing that you can still do uh because i was thinking where where would i even look to try to solve a problem like this and actually Apple can help you is that if you go into system preferences, there's a little search field. And if you type in the word space, it'll highlight mission control. Yeah. <laughs> Which would have led you to that. So just a little tip here. Sometimes mm. the, the OS may be able to, to uh, the find feature in system preferences may be able to steer you in the right direction. If, if you know what to search for, yeah. just like with Google, but yeah. um, no, I just thought I'd try that. I'm like, huh, how does he know that space would be in mission control? Oh, that's how. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I mean, there, yeah, there's a, that's where all your spaces preferences are now or in, in the mission control thing. So in fact, mm -hmm. of the, there are four checkboxes there and the only one that is not related to spaces is this one. So spaces can be cool. Um, I find them more valuable on smaller screens like my laptop than I do on bigger screens, but, but that's probably just my workflow. I can, I can totally see where having spaces on, on larger screens would be handy. Um, I just, 
I, I just don't work that way. I don't, I don't live in full screen mode in, in a lot of apps on, on a large display. But if I did, like if I was using either final cut or, you know, perhaps like a uh, pixel mater all the time or something like that, then having a space with just that dedicated would be pretty cool. So, all right, moving on to Dave, I believe Dave says uh, a question for you that I think most people are at least somewhat confused about. With the advent of iCloud family sharing, my wife and I set up separate family account for our preteen son, and that has worked seemingly well so far. We're wondering if we should have separate accounts. Uh, what are the pros and cons of doing so? Currently, that brings our total Apple IDs to three. One for our iTunes purchases, one for my wife and I for iCloud, and one for our son for iCloud. Uh, is there a way to create a separate account for my wife? And what are all the pros and cons to such a decision? It would be nice to get the extra five gigs of free storage so that both of our iPhones have backups. But I've heard that app purchases possibly don't work well doing that. It's a good question, Dave. And it's uh, it, it's one we've we've addressed in kind of from different angles before. And I'm sure we'll address again because it is a little bit confusing. If you create a separate account for your wife, what that means is it will be a separate iCloud account. And with iCloud, um, you get separate calendars, separate address book. And this is in terms of syncing, separate email, uh, separate Safari bookmarks, separate reminders, separate notes, separate iCloud keychain and separate uh, find my Mac is I think most of it. Oh, and separate photos as well. Uh, in separate iCloud drive. So if your apps sync preferences or files across uh, iCloud, then those would be separate now for you and your wife. If in fact she creates her own account, that's probably in most cases, that's probably a good thing. You probably don't want to be sharing all of that data amongst two people. I always say separate iCloud account per person, not per device. You know, you, you would want, if you had an iPhone and an iPad, for example, Dave, you'd want, um, you know, the same iCloud account on both of those so that you had your data in, in all those places. But your wife, your wife might want separate, um, you know, her, her own data to be syncing amongst her devices. And like you said, you do get the extra five gigs of storage. So that can be quite handy. Now, as far as application purchases from the iTunes store, you can do this one of two ways. You and you it sounds like you're sort of straddling the line. You talk about having a separate account for the iTunes store and that's fine, but you don't have to do that now because of iOS 8's family sharing. You can create your family group, which it sounds like you already have because you've got your son in there, and then use uh, everybody kind of shares into each other's purchases, but any charges go to the main iCloud or uh, iTunes store account. So you can, you could, you can do it that way. And it actually, it works fairly well. I mean, there's some, we've talked about it before. There's some wonkiness in terms of how to use gifts, gift uh, certificates and cards and all that stuff. Um, even if I like, we do it here. And if I have a, you know, a $50 gift balance and somebody on, on my, in my family buys a $10 app, that $10 app gets charged to my credit card. It won't get charged to my gift balance, which is kind of weird, but, um, but otherwise it, you know, it works well and, and that's the way to do it. But you could also just use, you can have a uh, separate account signed in. So you can have one account signed in for iCloud and a different account signed in 
for the store, which it sounds like is what you're doing, at least on your wife's uh, device and yours. And that would work too. Um, it totally works fine with or without family sharing. So that's, that's my answer. I think, I think you should create, create the account for your wife. I, I don't think there's a whole lot of downside there. In fact, there's a lot of upside. What do you think, John? Um, not much. All right. <laughs> I just have a single account. Yeah. Right. 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 How, do you, how many, how much iCloud storage do you have? Do you still just have the default? Yeah. I'm able to get by with the, uh, five gigs. There you go. The thing that takes most of it is mail and pictures. Yeah. Yeah. So do you back up to iCloud? Uh, my iOS devices. That's what I mean. Your iOS devices. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. 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 The, um, yeah, the phone does it automatically and, uh, the iPad, uh, every now and then, uh, yells at me to plug it in. Yes. It's yep. like, hey, I'm backed up for two weeks. That's because I'm not plugged in and on Wi-Fi and yep. locked. So please do that. And I'm like, oh, all right. Yeah. Okay. Whoops. Right. <laughs> all righty. Let's see. What do we have here, John? Actually, you know what I want to do? I want to talk about our first sponsor, which today is Linda at L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G. Linda makes excellent excellent training videos and they've been doing it for a long time. And now they're a part of LinkedIn uh, purchased by them. Not that long ago, just about a month ago and uh, maybe even less. And it's a great, uh, it makes great sense because as you've heard uh, from the listener testimonials that we've had, Linda is a perfect place to go to either enhance your skills for your current job or develop new skills for your next job. And we've heard about this from many of you and it works out great. You know, they, uh, they, they really, they, these videos are so well produced. If you haven't seen them yet, you got to go check it out. You get 10 days free on us, right? So go to lynda.com, L Y N D A.com slash M G G sign up for your 10 free days and check out some videos. Now, um, listener, uh, Chuck, said that uh, Linda, he, he writes, he says, Linda has helped uh, to refresh my knowledge of the iPhone, iMovie, OS 10, iOS, iPad, and JavaScript. Not bad for 25 bucks a month. And he says, and I am not finished. So that's, that's from Chuck. And, uh, and, and he's right. Once you're, once you're done with your 10 day free trial, it's, you know, it's 25 bucks a month. Uh, that's where it starts. And that gets you streamed to all your devices if you want to have them synced offline to your devices, you can pay a little bit more and get a premium account, but you don't need it. You can, you can just stream these things and you can learn all kinds of stuff. And if you, if you're in the middle of a course on your Mac and you think, gosh, it'd be great to have this running on my iPad while I, you know, if it's like a programming course or something like that. So great. Just start the course on your iPad, sync up your account there. It'll start where you left off. And then now you've got your Mac free to actually tweak and test while you've got the course running right there on your iPad. Mike wrote in and he said, the most recent course I completed was LastPass Password Management Fundamentals. Says it was a relatively high level course, but I learned a few things about using LastPass and I've been using it for almost a year. He says, there's a course for 1Password too. He says, but I haven't looked at that since I use LastPass and not 1Password. But that's, see, that's the kind of stuff is you can get really high level stuff and very specific stuff it, it, there's all kinds of great, great things here. And uh, I, I just, I can't speak highly enough of the quality. They really, really know what they're doing. You know, uh, if you want to learn how to 
if you've got, you know, papers all over the place and you want to learn how to go paperless, Linda has a course called Going Paperless Start to Finish. Uh, you might have just finished your taxes, but maybe you uh, took an extension like I did and you want to take the income tax fundamentals course. Not bad, right? Uh, 3D printing project, designing a replacement part, learning how to use that 3D printer. These are pretty cool things. Um, they've got photography courses, you know, shooting with your iPhone so that you can really learn how to do this kinds of stuff. You're watching and you're learning from total experts in their fields and they are passionate about what they're teaching. And that's why it's, you know, it's a perfect fit for LinkedIn, but it's also a perfect fit for you, a listener, Mac geek cab, because here you are listening to two crazy people like John and I talk about what we're passionate about, teach you things, right? Hopefully the goal always is to learn at least uh, on this show four new things. Uh, but uh, you know, so it, Linda is, is a perfect extension of that. You got to go check it out. Linda.com, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G. And uh, that'll get you 10 free days. And go ahead. Tell us like, like Mike did, like Chuck did, like listener Dave in the last spot that we talked about. Uh, tell us what it is that you've watched on Linda and tell us what you think about it. We'd love to share that with, with everybody else here. So Linda, L-Y-N-D-A.com slash M-G-G. Thanks so much for being a sponsor. Great stuff. All right, John. Onward, we move to a couple of tips. First, I think we'll start with Ian because he has a tip related to the last show. He said in episode 550, you discussed using tab completion, file name completion and escaping spaces in file names. These are both handy, but I learned of another way to reference files and folders while using the terminal. You can drag a file from the finder into a terminal window and the path to that file will be entered on the command line. The bonuses, spaces in the path, and everything are all properly escaped. So if you want to, uh, you know, copy a file or even just go to a, a folder, you, know, you say CD space and then drag the folder in and boom, now you don't have to type the folder at all. It just puts it right there in text. It's magic. It, it really it does all the work for you. And uh, Ian's totally right. Thank you. I forget about that because I'm so used to doing stuff in the terminal remotely on different machines. And obviously I can't do that when I'm remote to, you know, some Linux machine in Virginia, but, uh, but certainly when it's local on your Mac works perfectly. And if that's where you spend most of your time in your terminal, that's a really good habit to get into. So thanks Ian. Good stuff. Thoughts on that, John? Are you going to take us to Douglas? We love the terminal. I do. Yeah. But we hate typing. So yeah, it's a, <laughs> that's an awesome tip. Yep. Well, we hate making um, typos. I don't so much hate typing. I just hate making mistakes. So limiting opportunities for human error. That's a good thing. Right. Right. And to save you typing. Well, here's a little typing, but you get a bonus here. So this is actually a, a tip or a follow-up from uh, Douglas. And Douglas writes, I'm a little behind. That's all right. Um. But he said he just listened to episode 345 regarding... I think, I think, five, uh, I think it was 545. Wait, he typed 345. Yeah, I but you, you and five, I both four, know it was, three. it was 543 or 545. Yeah, it was, five, very, it was a recent episode. Go ahead. And I was shaking my fist at the, the fact that you can't uh, easily, or so I thought, see the progress of encryption on an external drive. So as you may or may not know, so you have FileVault, which uh, encrypts your internal drive. But if you have drives attached via USB or whatever, 
You can also click on the drive and say encrypt, and it asks for a password, you know, very similar to File Vault. And then it kind of does its thing, and you never know if it's done. Now, in my case, Dave, actually, I know something is going on, and actually, it's still happening. So, so I decided to encrypt the uh, one terabyte drive that I use to do uh, a backup of my 960 gigabyte SSD. Yep. And the light keeps flashing. <laughs> so that's one sign that something's going on. Um, but then Douglas wrote in and said, hey, there is a way you can tell. And he referenced uh, an article at Stack Exchange. And basically, it's a command that you type into the terminal. And the command is diskutil. Um, and that leads to a whole bunch of, uh, there are so many options to it. So yes, you can run disutility uh, from the command line, but this gives you some information that you don't get from the, uh, the GUI version. And you type disutil space CS space list, and it will then show you the status of various uh, partitions or disks. And one thing that it'll tell you is that if a disk is in the process of um, being encrypted, well, it'll tell you that. It'll tell you, uh, you got to dig in a little bit, and uh, basically it'll tell you uh, in one of the entries, it'll say conversion status, and it'll say converting. And what it means by converting is that it's actually encrypting it. And it'll tell you the percentage. Uh, it'll tell you the total size and then the converted size. So you can get a, uh, you can get the gist of how far along it is. But I thought that was, that was useful. Well, one of, one of the things buried in a uh, disutil that, yeah. uh, that you can't get elsewhere. That's super handy. Yeah, and the thing I last looked, I mean, it's it's taken a while because it's a rotational drive. Uh, although it's in a USB 3 enclosure, but I think it's only like 10% done. <laughs> oh, wow. So far. Well, it's a one terabyte drive, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it, right. Rotational drives are pretty slow to encrypt. That would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, cool. disutil from the command line. Oh, man. Yeah, just type disutil itself and it'll give you, wow, look at all that stuff. So what is CS? Uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, core storage. Okay. I think yeah. that's a, okay. So that's a core storage function. Core storage being the guts of the OS that handles uh, managing storage. Okay. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and encrypted volumes are actually core storage containers and it, it gets, it gets really interesting the way, the way it all, the way it all works in there and the way it's all created. It's, it's pretty good. It, actually, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with the way Apple has put together all of that core storage stuff to keep, to keep life compatible and yet enhance all these features. It's good. Yeah, all right. Yeah. So, um, McKay writes in and he said, uh, my logic board is EFI password protected and my SSD is file vault to encrypted. Uh, and these facts, I believe, relate to the problem experience, but I have a solution. He says, after the recent 10.10.3 update, my Mac displayed a flashing folder and question mark upon boot. To fix this problem, I held down the option key on boot, typed in my EFI password, and then was able to select my boot drive, which solved my issue. Perhaps if other users experience the same thing in the future, this tip may help them. That's very interesting, McKay. Yeah, if you've... If you've got an EFI password and something happens uh, where your um, your your boot drive 
changes or or is forgotten by the pram you need to enter that efi password before you can even select the um the boot drive but you've got to do it in that order so holding down the option key and then typing in the efi password gets you to that that boot drive menu um yesterday john so you know i I picked up that that uh old 2008 macbook pro from you and i was going to take some ram out of it with my son and then actually i was thinking about well i don't know that i actually need it um so i was going to sell it off and then we realized wait a minute uh, his computer has no speakers or no sound because it, it, the motherboard suffers from that issue where it thinks it's got a digital plug in and you can't, you can't reset it. Right. It's just one of those things. It's, 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 it's been that way on that machine forever. So, um, so it suffers from that. And also the latch wouldn't close anymore on this one. And so we're looking at it we're like, wait a minute, why don't we, why don't we move your hard drive to this one? And of course the keyboard on yours, the key, the, the, the wrist rest was pretty worn out. But the wrist rest on on the one he was using was totally fine. So we popped both machines open uh, simultaneously. We just kind of went through the instructions together. He had a toolkit. I had a toolkit. We actually used the iFixit um, uh, magnetic mat. And as we were thinking, he's like, well, so should I put my screws in one section and yours in the other? And then he's like, wait a minute. Why? It's like, it's all the same. It's the same computer. We're just if, if there's four screws coming out for step two, well, then there'll be eight in the little block for step two. This This magnetic mat that... I fix it sells as killer. Um, the story is going somewhere that's related to McKay, but I'll take us on this tangent. It's a, it's a grid map, maybe uh, 20 grid spaces and they're all magnetic and you can write on them with a, an included um, uh, uh, dry erase marker. And so, you know, we just write the step number and put the screws there and they stay there. It's great. It's awesome. Things never get uh, messed up. So, uh, so we did that and put it back together and then when we turned on each, effectively, we swapped, let's see, we swapped the keyboards and we swapped the hard drives because he has an SSD in, in his and the one that you sent had that, you know, old 250 gig driver or whatever. So we swapped those out and turned it back on. And each machine then waited 10 seconds at a gray screen before it came up. And this, of course, is because the boot drives uh, were not in those machines anymore. And it waits, your Mac will wait 10 seconds before it goes and tries to find the next boot drive, which of course, in both cases it did and it booted up. So uh, we had to go into system preferences and uh, on each machine and go into startup disk and set the boot drive. If you go into startup disk and you see, and you don't see anything highlighted, that's your cue that your Mac does not, have a, it either doesn't have a boot drive set or it's set to something that's not plugged in or not connected. So we, uh, you know, we changed both of those and that was fine. We did, however, John have one problem. Uh, as my son, this was the first time he's worked with me, um, on taking these machines apart, but this was the first time he had ever done one himself. Right. I mean, we were doing it together, but I had my own machine to work on. He had his own machine to work on. So he had to do all the work. He had to pull all the screws out and he had to put all the screws back in. And it's funny because I noticed this on mine when I was doing it, but I didn't think much of it. I should have said something to him. He, uh, when we were screwing the screws back in, when it came time to screw the, uh, the, the, there's four screws along the side of that machine where the firewire port is and, um, and the USB port and the DVI port. And when he went to screw things back in to, he was working on his old machine. So the one that we're, we're probably not going to use uh, anymore. He took one of his screws and screwed it into one of the ports on the side of the DVI connector. Now, 
there's two problems with this. A, well, it's the wrong port to, to plug a screw into. And B, the screws that we were using are slightly smaller than what would fit in that port, which meant there was no way to unscrew it and back that screw out of that port. So we had to bend the case. It was either take the entire motherboard out of the case, or we had to bend the case a little bit to free it up and then kind of, you know, use, use um, needle nose pliers and, and pluck the screw out of there. So we, we chose option B, but, uh, but it was a good learning experience for, for all involved. And I figured I would share that too. So, but it also, it's all back together. Everything's working and uh, he's got uh, the machine. He's still trying to get used to that glossy screen on, on the one that we got from you, John, but I think he'll do fine with it. Oh, I love the glossy screen. Never liked Matt. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's an adjustment, right? So we'll, we'll see how he does. I think he'll do fine with it. So oh, well, I'm glad you got some use out of that. Yeah. 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 We were looking at it before we went away and it was like, wait a minute, why are we going to move Ram from one? It's like, this doesn't make sense. This machine is in better shape than that one. Let's just, you know, he's like, but I don't like that keyboard. And then he, it was him that thought of it. He's like, couldn't I move this keyboard over there? I'm like, yeah. In fact, it's almost part of the process. So it's pretty good. Yeah. That did strike me about that machine is that I used it so much that I actually wore the paint off. Unlike mm-hmm. my current machine, which is, you know, a nice big block of metal that was plastic with uh, silver paint on, on lots of the parts. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, and of course, what you're mentioning is the uh, startup manager, or I guess what, what was mentioned is the, uh, the startup manager. From McKay, from McKay's point. Yes, absolutely. That's yes. Right. Yep. Yep. That's yeah, right. And I got a happy little article here because, uh, yeah, sometimes for whatever reason, your your machine, it can be panic inducing, though, when, when you <laughs> especially if you've never seen it before, all of a sudden you see a question mark flashing on your screen and you're like, huh? <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's dude. like your computer. It's like your computer asking for help. And you're like, I don't know. It's just saying what? <laughs> I don't know. I think they should have made a different choice for that icon. No, I guess it is a good choice of flashing question mark. Yeah. Yeah, it works. It works. So I, I'm, I'm totally stoked. I got to In fact, I'm going to text this to my son right now. Cause I'm really excited about it. Um, Furby's in the chat room here at MacGeekab.com slash stream. Welcome everyone. Thank you for joining us. And Furby's says, um, when you have that problem where you have a screw that you can't get, super glue a screwdriver into the screw and draw it out which is brilliant what a great idea that totally would have worked and then you pour some acetone on it and off comes the uh the super glue and you're back in business so thank you Furbies. that's killer i'm gonna send that to uh to lucas right now um i will also share this because I, we use super glue at home more often than you might think and but we didn't used to. And part of the reason we didn't used to is because super glue sucks when you get it on your hands. Right. But what we use is those food service gloves. I put one on each hand and then I can touch anything I want because they're really thin. So, you know, you still have full control and dexterity with everything. But and you can just let the super glue get all over your fingers, which is really what you want to do. You need to get in there with whatever you're doing and, you know, hold the thing together and move it around and wipe some of the glue off. And your fingers are the perfect things to do this with, except that then you wind up with super glue on your hands for like a week. But uh, but if you put those food service gloves on, they're cheap. You know, you buy a box of 50 of them or whatever for like 12 cents or something. And uh, and you put two of them on, you mess with it all, you get the super glue all over them. And then you just have to be careful when you pull them off that you, you know, you pull them off and leave them kind of uh, tucked into themselves and you throw them away. 
So there you go. That's my, that's my free, that's a freebie for today, folks. That's right. Fun stuff. Where, uh, where are we here on time? It is. It's fun stuff. Do you super glue, John? I love it. I couldn't super glue a uh, piece of metal, though, on my, not my new snare drum that I just bought yesterday. Um, but I had to go to the drum store to order a lug for my old one because a piece of, like a metal, uh, uh, I don't know, piece broke off of one of the lugs and I couldn't super glue it. I, I, I Even though I have super glue that says it'll work for metal, it wouldn't. So it's fine. It's like a $12 part. And I think, I think we were able to find it despite it being 20 years old. So. 500 gloves for 780 on Amazon says big T put a, uh, put a link to that. If you would, in the, in the chat room here, we'll make sure to get it into the show notes for everybody. I think I need to order more. I noticed I could see the bottom of the box yesterday when I was messing around with it. So I don't know. What do you think, John? The only thing I'll toss out, Dave is super glue doesn't work with certain plastics. So what you want to do in that case, um, Loctite, is it Loctite? Yeah. I'm trying to think. There are a yeah. few different bands, but there's actually special epoxy that you can use for plastic. That's the one downfall of a lot of super glues is that they don't work with certain plastics. Huh. So. I've had great luck with plastic, just not so much with, uh, with metal. But, I mean, it worked for a little actually, bit, but it, you know, I mean, mm-hmm. it would work for the screw thing that Furby suggested, but it wouldn't work. To, mm-hmm. you know, just, it's not going to bond it full time. So I don't know. That's my thought. I think I'm getting like allergies or something, John. I was exhausted really? last night and I'm feeling like short of breath here. I mean, not, not, I'm not, I'm not saying we need to, you know, there's no problem here, but, um, but, uh, I just, I'm just noticing it. It's the time of the season. Things are poofing out a little bit and, uh, just how it works, I guess. I so there we go. I want to talk about our second sponsor today, John. And that is Smile at SmileSoftware.com. And uh, I, we get to talk about one of my favorite apps of theirs because it's an app that when I use it, I feel like a spy. And that is PDF Pen Scan Plus. Now, I know you think I'm crazy, but what this app is built to do is it's built to be a scanner. It, it turns your iPhone with its camera and its CPU into a scanner that will scan directly to a PDF the cool part about the, the new version of PDF Scan Plus, or PDF Pen Scan Plus, I should say, is how streamlined they have made the process. I had a, um, you know, I just did this uh, quick theater gig last weekend, and it, the book for it was 70 pages. And there was nobody online that had a PDF of this. It's a relatively new show. It's called Dogfight. Not a lot of people have done it in, in, uh, in syndication, if, if, for lack of a better term. So, so the book, the PDF of the book isn't out there. And of course, they don't give you a PDF because that's too, that would be too easy. But I wanted to do the show on my iPad, as I always have, because it's the right place to keep notes and then I don't have to erase things. So um, I got the book and I don't want to take the spiral binding out of it to scan it on my scanner. And of course, doing a page at a time on a flatbed scanner in the binding would take me forever. So I, uh, I whipped out PDF Pen Scan Plus and the new version has the ability to sense the page. So I don't even have to press the shutter button. I just aim it at it. And when it sees that it's got the page in focus, it takes the picture and then I either move it to the next page or flip the page, you know, depending on what I have to do. It took me less than five minutes to scan 70 pages this way. 
And even better, I knew ahead of time that what I wanted out of the scan was a black and white scan. I didn't want color. I didn't even want grayscale, all three of which are options. I will, I will mention. And so I chose black and white and boom, I blazed through this thing. And then I was able to save it off to my Dropbox. I could have saved it to iCloud. And, uh, and then I opened the, that very PDF file in the app that I used to, to, you know, on stage to manage the scores. And, uh, and it worked totally fine. It's just like brilliant. And it took five minutes to scan 70 pages and it's clear. I mean, I read it on stage, you know, it was, uh, it was brilliant. It's way, way easier than anything else I've done. So you got to check this thing out. You can, uh, you can configure page size. You, you know, if you want to scan business cards with this thing, you can do that. If you want it to be more tailored toward receipts, it can do that. It's, it's intelligent. And so it'll kind of snap to the page anyway, but if you give it some hints, it gets even better. Um, it, it like I said, it automates the, the capturing and the, the cropping and the size and the, you know, if things are askew, it'll, it'll kind of fix that a little bit. Uh, it, it, it really, it, it takes, it, you know, they, here, they say it right in the, uh, in the materials they sent me, it takes all the taps out of the scanning process so that it's much faster and easier to use. And that's exactly what they have done. If you had pr- pr- previously purchased PDF pen scan plus, cause we've mentioned it here before, uh, version two is free. It's out, uh, as of about uh, six weeks ago, March 18th. If not, you go to the, uh, the app store and, uh, and you can buy it. Uh, it's part of different bundles. They alone, it's uh, seven bucks us six ninety nine, And, uh, but, uh, you can buy it in a bundle for $22 or $21.99. And that gets you this with PDF pen for iPad and iPhone. Uh, that normally is 1999. So it's a pretty good savings. And that way, you, not only can you scan these things, but then you can use something like PDF pen to edit them and kind of move things around. So you got to check it out. Smilesoftware.com slash geek. I'm getting weird echo here. I don't know if that's you on Skype or what, John. I don't think it is. But uh, smilesoftware.com slash geek is where you will go to, uh, to start this, your journey here. And then, of course, that'll bring you to the App Store because that's where you're going to have to buy this stuff from, uh, from, you know, for your iPhone. But you got to check it out. It's great. Smilesoftware.com slash geek. PDF pen scan plus version two. And of course it's a free upgrade if you're already in software. Thanks so much to smile for sponsoring this show. Really, really, really appreciate it. All right. Let's talk about uh, it's summertime, John here in the, in the Northern hemisphere anyway, which is where most, but certainly not all of our listeners are. You're with me, right, John? Those echoes went away, but you're still here. I hope so. You are here. Excellent. Yeah. I don't know what that was. That was interesting, but uh, we'll get there. So uh, with it being summertime, the questions, there, there are certain category of questions that, that wind up coming up this time of year. And uh, Lucas, I believe is the first of these, but it certainly won't be the last. He, uh, he asks, he says, I think I remember you talking a couple of years ago about ways to extend Wi-Fi range. By a significant amount, like across the street or down the road. Do you think you could do another quick roundup of the best possibilities if things have changed since then, or at least point me in the right direction? My scenario, which you can leave or take, we'll take it. Uh, He says, we have a little oasis across the street to which I'd like to extend our Wi-Fi. 
I have a new Airport Extreme and a fairly old Airport Express, first gen. Um, I configured the Express to extend the Extreme's connection, but it barely res- registers a signal from across the street, like 0.2 megabits per second. My late 2013 MacBook Pro actually gets a decent signal from across the street directly from the Extreme, but my iPhone 5S and the old Express must have pretty puny Wi-Fi antennas by comparison. That's true. Uh, would you recommend getting an inexpensive router with a honking antenna to put in bridge mode? What about a pair of direct beam Wi-Fi antennas? But then how would I connect those? So, yeah, you're totally right. We've talked about this before because I'm I'm super impressed by uh, my 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 amazingly thrifty uncle's uh, solution up in Maine. It what he's doing up there, uh, Lucas, is very, very similar to what you want to do. He needs to get um, his. Well, he doesn't need he, he has two houses. They are across the street from one another. So that sort of means you can't, you know, run Ethernet, at least not without somebody yelling at him. And given that his, my other uncle, a.k.a. his brother, is um, on the on the town board of selectmen. In fact, he might even be the town manager right now. Probably not a good idea to have family members digging up the road. You know, it, it, it kind of goes, goes against the, the rules up there. So, uh, but he doesn't want to buy cable or uh, he doesn't want to buy internet in both places. Uh, because, like I said, he's thrifty and you can't blame him. So, uh, so he does, he, um, he, he ran, he runs a signal using direct beam Wi-Fi antennas, but these things are cheap. He says he's running a pair of, uh, of D link DWL 2200 AP routers. Now this was from a couple of years ago. Um, but these are, you know, relatively inexpensive routers. Um, and he's running them with the stock firmware in WDS plus access point mode. He says he chose those routers because they had the highest wireless power output and they were cheap. He says most routers don't tell you the power, but uh, you can still get these routers. They're out there. Um, or you can get something quite similar to it. And he says for the antennas, he's using a Radio Labs 2.4 gigahertz Backfire 14. And I found these antennas. They're about 50 bucks a piece and they look like mini satellite dishes. So you need to get whatever router you get. You've got to get uh, a router that will let you plug in a uh, an extra antenna or a different antenna. You know, some routers like Apple's routers have antennas built into them. Some have ports for antennas on the outside that you plug in. Well, with this, you, you definitely want to be able to do this. And, and the, 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 the fundamental here, the foundation of this here is that the antennas that come with routers are typically um, omnidirectional. Right. They, they spread their signal in all directions and it's not quite equal, but but that in general, that's what it does. Uh, and that gets your Wi-Fi, you know, maybe a couple hundred feet, probably less. And we're talking two point four gigahertz here. There's no reason to do any of this with five. It's not going to go far enough. But with two point four, if you take that entire signal and focus it into a direct beam, it can go miles and get decent bandwidth. And I'm, I'm not kidding about this. It actually will go miles. So what you do is you get two of these direct beam antennas and you plug them into the routers and then you have to aim the antennas at each other. And he said, um, he said uh, he got it, the, the, the dishes were these, you know, 15 or 14 dB gain passive dishes. He said they look like small metal garbage can lids. He said he chose 15 dB because higher gain is a tighter beam, which is harder to aim. So going 15, or it sounds like in this case, they were 14s uh, just based on the model number. They, um, you know, he was able to aim the beams fairly easily and and get things locked right in. 
And uh, he says other people he's seen have used old satellite dishes that they pick up at the dump. And there's no reason you couldn't do that either. Um, he said, you know, there's probably instructions on the web and he's right. So, uh, so that's the way to do this, to really get a high quality beam. Now, the only problem he's ever run into and he runs into this every couple of years is he has to trim a, a tree uh, so that he can have a line of sight between the two, you know, between the two dishes. Cause that's what, that's where the signal's going. If you've got something in the way, it's not going to work. So, uh, but these direct beam things work great. And it sounds like for probably 200 bucks or less, you could buy everything you needed and have some fun putting it all together. So 2.4 gigahertz only though, no reason to go five. Make sure you're using 802.11 N because it's going to go much faster than G uh, not that you would have an easy time buying a G only router now, but, but that's what you want to do. And then on the other end of it, once you've, you know, treat these as your, as your connection between the two, you're also going to want routers on either end to broadcast the Wi-Fi signal internal to the house. Um, you know, like you normally would, this is just for your connection between the two. So you could use your express that you already have as the kind of local uh, repeater, if you will. And then, you know, whatever you're getting here to, to blast the uh, signal between the house and uh, your across the street oasis. So it's fun stuff. Fun stuff. John, you had some thoughts on this, too. A few thoughts. So number one, yeah, I, you know, if you can get away with it, maybe you should do some cable uh, burial or an unburial work uh, at night so you don't get caught. Uh, that well, yeah. Yes, it, 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 it depends, right? If it's a if it's a dirt road, you might be able to, to dig across it. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, my when I was at my uncle's place a couple of years ago, they were they were digging up the road in between um, the, his two the, his two homes there. And uh, I said to him, I said, you know, man, tonight's the night we should get out there and just just run some cable. And uh, he's like, yeah, I know. I was thinking about that too. He's like, but I don't have any cable and I don't think we can get any direct burial cable fast enough. He's like, cause you know, they're coming tomorrow to, to pave the road. I said, yeah. <laughs> so he didn't do it, but, uh, but we wanted to pretty bad. So, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. You're totally right. If you can run cable, it's always better, but this is the only way that Wi-Fi extension has ever really worked is with these direct beam dishes. It, you know, and it does, it works great. Right. Now, there are devices, Dave, and uh, I think Wi-Fi extender is the class of device. Yeah. So you can do you can Google and you can search for this for uh, shorter, depending on how far you want to go. One of these may be worth considering. Maybe. Um, Linksys makes one. Uh, all, all the major players that also, you know, for the most part, make regular Wi-Fi access points also make extenders and they get mixed you know it's funny i, I found one right up and, and i'm totally with the the reviewer he said for the most part all of these things are kind of lame because they're they're trying to do something not quite the right way i mean the the thing you gotta you gotta realize if you're not using beam i mean an extender you're already losing something um, in a lot of the reviews, what I'd see, they said, oh, well, you know, the signal is much better. It's like, yeah, but it's it's already a degraded signal unless you do something like you mentioned, Dave, which is do direct beam. If you're talking something with an omnidirectional antenna, then eh, it, it may do it for you. The, the, the one thing I do want to mention, though, is if you want to improve the uh, reception on a 
iPhone. And I talked about this in the past, and it looks like these guys have been busy because they have more devices. And this is a link case. I think you may have remembered me talk about this a while mm-hmm. ago. I got it as a, I got it as a, in, in a goodie bag. And basically it is a case that you put on. And so now they, they support iPhone five, iPhone six, and I think iPad mini, but it's a case that has a better antenna for both your Wi-Fi, And then they have now a pro version uh, but it may also uh, help to increase your uh, 3G or 4G performance as well. Because I think as, as was observed, the problem with the antenna inside of the iPhone is that it's it's tiny. <laughs> it's all about the antenna. Sure. That's oh, it's totally right. Exactly. Yeah, that's right. And I actually found so I, I actually documented. So using one of these link case, uh, of course, we will link to these guys here. And, and again, they're, they're coming out with with new stuff. But because I saw probably twice the number of Wi-Fi access points when I put this case on and extended the antenna. So it does it through some, oh. uh, you know, mutual inductance or something like that. But it sure. basically gives you a better antenna for your IO for many iOS devices. And it worked for me. I mean, I, I, I remember I, I saw like 10 access points. And then when I put this thing on and extended the antenna, I saw like 25. And I'm like, wow, that, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. So if that's your only issue, you may want to consider one of these to, to give your uh, iOS device a little oomph <laughs> to pull in that, you know, that signal that's far, far away. Yeah. Yeah. There, huh. they, are. there they are. Yeah. So you want to... Um, it, I was, I was looking up a couple of things here, but didn't have quite the time. Uh, if you can't find the exact router that my uncle recommended, what you're looking for is a single band wireless router with, uh, you know, 2.4 gigahertz, single band with detachable antenna. That's, that's what you're looking for. Cause you don't need two antennas. Aren't going to do you any good. It's in fact, it's going to probably cause more grief than it's worth. I, Maybe not. I haven't done enough research on that, but certainly single band is going to, you know, it's going to make life easier. I guess you could do dual band and try and aim them at each other. I don't know, man. It sounds like a lot of work. <laughs> and it's cheaper that way, too. So. All right. Fun stuff. You want to take us to, uh, to Sandra there, John? Do I? I don't know. You tell me. It's your call, man. Yes. The baton, the, yes. uh, the reins are in your hand. All right, Sandra, or Sandy, says, oh, look at that. I love it when Preview quits. Okay, you got to stop using quit. Preview. Use, like, either Evernote, right, or Yojimbo. Pick one. And, uh, Opening PDFs. Yeah. Why, why is it, I know. Why is it being so difficult? You know what? I'm, I'm going to start using Evernote because we could have a Mac Keycap library synced between us and we'll just put the stuff in there. I'm going to start doing that, and then, and then that's where you're going to use it, and it won't fail. And plus, I got to start using Evernote more anyway. It'd be good for me to, to learn more about that. I've, I've avoided it for long enough. So we'll, uh, we'll see how that goes. We're changing the workflow. Okay. Think so? Oh, yeah. 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 Oh, of course, now my finder has turned into molasses. All right. All right. I got it up here. So. Sandra says, I just finished listening to MacGab 550 and have a question about the new Photos app in Yosemite that I didn't hear mentioned. I've been using iPhoto since it came out in conjunction with iPhoto Library Manager. This means I have several different iPhoto libraries on several disk drives. Will I be able to use them with photos? Can I keep them as separate libraries and access them when I need them? 
And the answer is, with the caveat here, I would say yes. So what you want to do is when you start up with, a, with many programs, including uh, photos, if you hold down option, something a little different happens. And what happens with photos is that if you hold down option, it's going to say, hey, which library do you want to open? Now, the only caution, we, we've been getting multiple reports here. If you are going to be migrating a photos, an iPhoto library to a photos library, I strongly, strongly recommend that when you do that, you have the libraries in your pictures folder, which is by default where Apple puts Aperture and iPhoto and Photos libraries is in the pictures folder. I've received multiple reports that if you do them, like uh, uh, several people have said, oh, well, I store my photo library in my Dropbox. I'm like, oh, okay. We've had multiple reports from people where things have not gone well if you try to migrate an iPhoto library to a photos library and it's not in the pictures folder. So, and they, they kind of suggest this in, you know, getting started with photos for OS 10. They, they have an article that tells you how to get started and how to do the migration. Um, and they fleetingly mention this at one point saying, Oh, and by the way, you know, this thing that's in your pictures folder. Um, yeah, you can migrate that. So, <laughs> so I would say, yes, you can yeah, do it. Um, cool. it's, it's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's the same concept. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm, not happy with the number of people that I've had heard um, had bad things happen if the libraries are not in the place that uh, Apple expects them. I think that's, and I don't know what's causing it. If if it's just, you know, again, we, we speculated, is it, is it Dropbox doing something weird? Uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't think so. I think we, we decided no. Um, yeah, go for it. Um, I, I tried it, you know, I, I, I tried it and created another one, I guess. Uh, actually what I did at, at first I was freaking out because I tried this, uh, to do a migration of a existing library and number one. So be, uh, the thing is, once you start the migration, you can't stop it. <laughs> uh, that was a bit disconcerting. As soon as I I'm like, Oh, did I really want to do that? I'm like, well, let me let it finish and see what happens. But no, there was no way to stop it. It's like, Nope, Nope. I even tried to quit it and it's like, no, you can't quit me. I'm migrating this library. Okay. Just, just cool. John. <laughs> um, but then when I was done, it created us, a, 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 another library called uh, photos library two. I think it didn't overwrite my existing one. At first I thought that's what it was going to do. And I'm like, Oh man, I just destroyed everything. So it's pretty good about it. Just, just have everything in the right place. That's pretty good. Yeah. I still haven't, I have, um, I think I have successfully avoided running photos at all. It, I mean, it, it, that's not entirely surprising. I could go months without launching iPhoto either. So, but I, I, I do, I need to migrate things in and, and mess about with it. So that's, I will. No, so far I'm happy with it. Um, you know, pulls in my photos. Uh, you know, I've been able to create, uh, you know, the equivalent of a project. Now it's an album. Yep. Uh, the integration with Flickr. I think that was one new thing. I didn't have a Flickr account registered in uh, Yosemite. And uh, oh. apparently now there's a mechanism to do that because yeah, I'd like to take things in my library and selectively publish them out to my, uh, my Flickr photo stream. You know, I, um, last week we were talking about Flickr and, uh, and, and having it automatically back up your photos. And, and during the show, in fact, was when I turned on that option in my iOS app and it has worked extremely well. Um, I'm finding that all my photos are always backed up. So whatever, that, that's a good thing, right? That's how it should be. 
I like it. It's good. All right. What else do we have here, John? Where are we time-wise? We got time for uh, for one more. We can uh, maybe maybe even two more. We'll we'll go through this one pretty quickly. But it it was it was an interesting thing for anyone doing stuff with interviews or uh, uh, Skype calls or WebEx meetings where you've got multiple people on one end and you don't want to have them using um, you know a single microphone with the whole kind of speakerphone in the room. Um, this is this is where things get interesting. Now I'm getting that same clippy echo. That's weird, John. Um, hang on one second. We're gonna we're gonna fix this. All right, we're back. Let's see if that echo's gone. Hopefully, uh, hopefully you're not hearing it on the recording. Are you folks hearing that? You're not hearing it in the stream, which means you're not hearing it in the recording. Okay, that's good. Thank you uh, to Furby's again. Thank you and Brian Moreau. Thanks. Uh, th- so Mike writes. He says. I have an audio setup problem that I'm hoping you can help with. Uh, I have two wireless microphones that pipe their input into a USB audio interface that connects to a Retina MacBook Pro. The input comes in a two-channel audio, one channel per microphone, and OS X Yosemite sees both channels just fine. The problem is getting both channels to be seen by the online meeting service software I use called WebEx. And the same problem would be true with Skype. Skype sees one channel of incoming audio. Uh, WebEx only sees one channel as well, while the second channel is ignored and support says that this is expected behavior. And they're right. Is there an application that can take the two channel input and convert it to a single channel that contains the audio from both mics in real time? We've tried audio MIDI setup, but that didn't seem to help. Yeah, I I ran into this actually just last week trying to help somebody uh with the the new DBA podcast that I started with Shannon Jean, we had Abby Vakil from uh, Fast Mac and, and many other things uh, online for an interview, but he came to Shannon's office. And so it was the same kind of thing. He, Shannon had two mics, but they were two USB mics. They came in as two separate things. We married them together using the aggregate device manager in audio, in uh, audio MIDI setup that's built into your Mac. And it's a very cool piece of software. It can do all kinds of things. It can set the sample rate and the bit rate and all that stuff of your devices. But you can also com- combine devices into one virtual device, which is really handy. Uh, the point of that is that apps like GarageBand and, and to some degree Logic only let you see one device at a time. So if you have multiple devices, you, you marry them together into this aggregate device and then it sees them. But it sees them all as separate channels of one device. So that doesn't solve the problem either. Audio Hijack. However, I was going to say Audio Hijack Pro, but it, it's not Audio Hijack Pro anymore. It's just Audio Hijack solves this problem. Uh, it's a, essentially what you need to do is create a software-based mixer that's going to take your two audio signals and mix them into one for something like Skype uh, or WebEx. You use two things with this. You use Audio Hijack. And you use something called Soundflower. We'll put links to both in the show notes. Soundflower is a virtual audio device on your Mac. And this is valuable because as we found out, Skype and WebEx and many other things only see one channel coming in. So uh, what Soundflower is, is as I said, a virtual audio device where it's essentially a software pipe, but it shows up both in input and output devices. So what you do is anything that you send into it will go out of it, but you can send multiple things into it and that's where it gets, it's valuable. So you'd install Soundflower, which is available for free. And then you select that as your microphone in Skype. 
right? So now you've got this virtual device coming in. All you got to do is pipe things into it. And that's where audio hijack comes in handy. Uh, you just launch audio hijack, uh, which is a for pay piece of software, but you can, you can demo with it and add your multiple audio devices, one output device. And, and the new audio hijack is great. You're literally dragging these things in. They're just elements uh, in a graphical interface. Then you drag them in and you connect them together. And essentially you're creating, um, uh, you know, two paths into one and you'll see it that way too. It's, it's, it's very, very straightforward and that's it. And then you're good to go. And uh, you tell it activate. And now anything you say into those microphones will be mixed in. If you want to get even more advanced, you can drag a volume uh, element in, in line in the path in, in audio hijack so that you can control the volume of each of these microphones independently if you want, uh, which might be handy if you've got multiple people there. But it's totally easy. You just see it right there on the screen. So that's the way you do it. Uh, a little bit of experimenting with audio hijack is, is the, the trick. I'll probably write this up or maybe even do a video about it because, uh, because that's, that's a great way to see this stuff. So expect a video from me. And if you don't see it, pester me about it because I need to do it. It'd be good stuff. So thanks for asking the question, Mike. Hopefully that, uh, hopefully that answers it. One last one, John. And I think we'll go to John, not you, but you know, listener, John, he says, after several years of happily using Dropbox, uh, he says it must be the only computer related thing that I've never had problems with. Uh, he says, I made the decision to switch from Dropbox to iCloud Drive. I was paying for both and only using a small percentage of the Dropbox capacity I had. Initial teething problems seem to be just because of the slow nature of the uploads. We have ADSL. Um, but now that everything is uploaded. Uh, uh, let's see. the. I moved some folders. It's a weird thing. Anyway, he says, uh, today at work, I got everything uploaded. Today at work, I moved some folders around in iCloud Drive. When I got home, I discovered that iCloud Drive was re-downloading dozens of files, including some large files greater than one gigabyte. Is it normal for iCloud Drive to do this when I've simply moved files from one folder inside iCloud Drive to another? I assumed that rather than moving the files, it has deleted the files on my home computer and then is re-downloading them to a new folder. Maybe Dropbox works in the same way, but I've never noticed it to behave like that. I'm also curious as to whether iCloud Drive does land sync like Dropbox does to speed up the process and reduce bandwidth use. I'm really regretting canceling Dropbox Pro, especially as I've also uh, lost the uh, PackRat feature that I had, which is no longer available. PackRat allowed you to have unlimited uh, history of things. Uh, it was a feature they offered for a short period of time and they don't offer it anymore, but you could be grandfathered in. He says, am I just unlucky with iCloud drive? Is it really as inferior to Dropbox as it, as it appears so far? It seemed extravagant paying for both and only making light use of each service, but I'm thinking maybe not. And I should go back to Dropbox and accept that it is necessary. So, um, yeah, I, I've, I've done some experimenting with this and, I, I too have found that iCloud drive is less robust than Dropbox. Dropbox uh, does when you move things, it just moves them. And we do this all the time, John, with, with our files around and stuff. And, and it's great because it, it syncs, but it doesn't redownload or upload anything. seems like iCloud drive perhaps is not nearly as robust in that way. As far as land syncing, I believe that iCloud drive does do some level of land syncing. That being it doesn't upload uh, 
it doesn't re-download to iCloud if you've got another machine on the LAN. It will it will grab it. Uh, I've seen it grab files from from locally. Hopefully, it does it all the time when it's supposed to, but you know, maybe not. So yeah, I I I feel like uh, iCloud Drive is not entirely as robust as you probably need. However, you might not need Dropbox. Um, you might, and if you decide to go back to Dropbox, ask customer service if they'll re-enable that Packrat feature for you because you had it in the past. They might do that for you. But uh, I really have become enamored with BitTorrent Sync. Uh, there is no server, right? BitTorrent doesn't maintain your data there. Uh, you just put your, you run BitTorrent Sync on multiple computers and sign in and connect them up. And then what you, and you can have multiple folders and all that stuff. We have a Mac Geek Cab folder. I don't, I don't know if you're part of it anymore, John. I don't know if you use, you use BitTorrent Sync, but um, it's great. It, it just works. And, and because it's, it's built on the BitTorrent protocol, the way, the way it works is it's all peer to peer. There is no one server. Everybody just participates. So I, it, it's really, I, it's what I use for all of my personal files now because they're only stored where I want them to be stored. The BitTorrent protocol is, is massively efficient at moving data around. And, uh, and I've had, I've had no issues with it whatsoever. Other than actually I have, I had one when I was using it prior to the, the kind of released version of 2.0, I was using it on my Synology in, in sort of a backdoored way. Uh, and there was nothing wrong with that. It ran just fine, but I hadn't, I, I was having permissioning problems simply because I, I hadn't set it up properly. So I would put files in and they would suddenly get ejected because the, the, my Synology couldn't, couldn't write to the folder that I had it writing to. That's really what the problem was. But, uh, but other than that, it's been flawless. It's been great. I, I really, really am happy with BitTorrent Sync. So you might be able to go there and depending on how many folders uh, you can sync unlimited subfolders among any folder, but if, if you wanted, you know, if you want to share folders with people or whatever, you get a maximum of 10, I believe with the freely available BitTorrent sync. And then if you want more than that, I think it's like 30 bucks a year, or 35 bucks a year. So not bad, not bad. Highly recommend it. BitTorrent sync is awesome. Oh, and Brian Monroe is, is connect is correcting me. He says, they're not calling it BitTorrent sync. They're calling it BT sync. So we will, uh, well, I'll correct that. Sorry. <laughs> can't, can't help myself. Really? Is it called? No, it's called BitTorrent Sync. I'm on their website right now. The, the, the label of the page says BitTorrent Sync. GetSync.com. So, yeah, it's called, it's called BitTorrent Sync. Maybe the app is called BT Sync, but service is called BitTorrent Sync. Absolutely. Or Sync from BitTorrent. Yeah. All right. Uh... What else do we have here? I think that's, uh, do you use BitTorrent Sync, John? Have you, are you using that yet? No, but I use iCloud Drive. Okay. And actually, the one thing with iCloud Drive that kind of befuddled me when I first set it up, because as you know, I'm running two systems here, one running Yosemite sure. and one not. I was like, oh, let me, let me see how this works. So I, you know, took a, a, on my Yosemite machine, took a bunch of files and put them in the iCloud Drive category which is in the sidebar and then I'm like oh well let me let me see how how I can access those on my other computer and I'm like where where is it <laughs> <laughs> the thing is you have to use the web interface to access iCloud drive if you're uh, on a uh, on a maverick system because there isn't an iCloud drive icon in the sidebar at least I can't find it oh <clears throat> right? uh, yeah well you could make one right the folder is there 
You could go in. Oh, yes. Right? Oh, that's right. We have to go to... uh, Home library. I believe it's mobile documents. Yeah. Home library, mobile documents. And there is your iCloud drive folder. And so you could you could put a link to that in your sidebar on your Mavericks machine. In fact, yeah. that's probably probably a good idea to do that. Or just get the heck off of Mavericks and get to Yosemite, you know. Uh, yeah, maybe I should do that. Yeah, well, I think definitely. <laughs> Mavericks is, I mean, it is Mavericks had its own issues. Yosemite doesn't necessarily solve those, but it doesn't make it any worse. That's that's my feeling on that. All right. Good tip. Yeah. Yeah, you bet. Lots of freebies today. I think that's how it's going to have to be. Let it be. Let it be. No, no, no. It's the answer. Feedback at yeah. MacGeekUp.com is the address to which you can and should send comments screenshots questions tips anything you got we want to hear it we'd love to hear it we rely on it in fact you make up the show it's up to you what we do here is on is on you yeah and uh you want to be sure to send those questions dave to feedback at macgeekab.com that's what that's what i said yeah feedback at macgeekab.com unless you're a premium subscriber, then you get to send into premium at macgeekab.com. And we, you know, I've, I've actually, I'll say this. We, um, I've seen some of you write in and say, I'm not sure if I'm sending from the right email address, I, you know, that part, part of premium. I, we take it on the honor system. It, you know, if you send it into premium, it's because you're a premium supporter. So, uh, it, you know, and we do prioritize that address. But, uh, but we do get through everything. But if you want to learn about being a premium supporter, John and I would uh, would love to have you if you are able. Uh, MacGeekab.com is the place where you can start to learn about that. We will have the, uh, the link to that in the show notes. But uh, premium is a place where it is, is, where it is created, again, by you. You folks decide everything that goes on here for the most part. And uh, many of you wanted to do something to support us directly in addition to shopping from all of our sponsors and, and patronizing them uh, so that's what premium is there for and we try to give you a little something extra and of course the uh, premium address is, is a big part of that but we do appreciate your support if you if you are able we would love to have you it really means a lot to us any of you can call us 206-666-GEEK which John is 4335 and uh, you know I was looking here John did I, uh, I think I did. I think I did it. I, uh, oh, we have, uh, we have iTunes reviews and I would love for you to add to our iTunes reviews. Cause right now I think we have, uh, 390 written customer reviews and I would love to get that up to 400. It doesn't take you long. In fact, I'll give you some examples of, of how quick these reviews can be. Uh, one, uh, from Isinger 9404, 
Right, so you guys have such a great podcast. It's like a genius part or Apple Care in a podcast. You save me so many trips to the store and so many long waits on the phone, waiting to talk to an Apple Care representative that has no idea what I'm talking about. Any anyhow, awesome is the title of that one from Isinger ninety four zero four. Not on the rug, writes, this is the best Mac podcast, period. The, the podcast never fails to tell me something new. I appreciate that the guys seem to understand we are listening to learn and they stay on the technology topic. So many podcasters seem to get together for a party amongst themselves and forget we're listening to hear about the Mac and not their laughter. Well, thanks, Not on the Rug. I'm, I like that name. Uh, yeah, well, we, we do get together for a party, but it's a party not just for John and I. It's a party with all of us. So, you know, right. You're here with us. It's how it works. Cajun Eric writes, I never miss an episode titled Absolute Best Technical Mac Podcast. So these are just a few examples of a couple of recent uh uh, uh, comments I would love it I really I would love it And I would appreciate it If you would go uh, If we can get this up Over 400 in the next week That's just 10 of you I mean there's You know tens of thousands That listen Really we should be able To get it up over 500 In the next week But why don't we say By the end yes. of May We'll get it up over 500 Yeah yeah. Please Please Throw your hat in the ring Yeah This costs you nothing You know But we can't reply to these Just so you know Um, But uh, But say whatever you like I mean if you've got You know Constructive criticism Or whatever Say it there Just know that we can't Reply to you there Um, We're always happy To reply via email And we've already said Those addresses So Thank you So much Folks Thank you Mr. John F. Braun Thank you everybody In the chat room At MacGeekab.com Slash stream uh, I think that's that. I'm gonna. Well, I, it's not that. I want to say thank you to Michael Johnston. He is the one who uh, converts this show to enhanced AAC, adding all the chapters and the links. Thank you so much, man. John, thank you for doing the uh, the show notes as you do. Actually, thanks everybody for doing the show notes. You folks in the chat room have been stellar today. It's really awesome. Those show notes are they're, they're super full already. Um, John, you go and you add in timestamps and all that great stuff, which is good. Uh, also, thanks to Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Provides all the bandwidth to get the show from us to you. And absolutely thanks to our sponsors, as we mentioned during the show. Linda, L-Y-N-D-A dot com slash M-G-G gets you 10 free days of their great training videos. Smile at smilesoftware dot com slash geek gets you PDF pen scan plus... Uh, Drobo.com, of course, gets you the file transporter as well as the great Drobo Gen 3. Squarespace.com slash MGG gets you 10% off there. And iMazing, make sure to visit iMazing. Coupon code MGG gets you 20% off. Lastly, Gazelle, sell all your old stuff off. I know, you got lots of stuff to tell you. It's great. John, do you have any... Uh, any final thoughts to share with our friends here before we move on for another week? Well, I, I think so, Dave, and I'm going to have to do some uh, uh, router or switch shopping because unfortunately um, this morning I got caught. 